You're listening to Commissioning Conversations, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast Intelligence. Hi there, and welcome to Commissioning Conversations. I'm Heather Fallon. And I'm Alice Redman. And we're both researchers and journalists for Broadcast Commissioner Index. And today is a very special festive episode where we'll be reflecting on the biggest news of 2021, what lies ahead for 2022, and the TV industry's favourite telly, as well as our own. And I might even throw in a couple of little festive games. Which I have no idea of and I am very excited for. (laughs) But that is all coming up in our final episode of 2021. So, hi Alice. As we hinted at in our introduction, there are quite a few festive treats lined up today. Yep, we are celebrating another year of brilliant TV and in the face of another challenging year, although luckily not as challenging as 2020, but still pretty bad. Still not a great year. Still patchy, I would say. But TV Industries once again delivered some insanely good shows. For sure. And we're both recording... Not in the way that we necessarily planned, which was in the office with a a little festive drink. But we are instead sat with, well, I've got some gingerbread biscuits and a cup of tea to try and feel festive today. Yep, I've got some Terry's chocolate orange that I brought from the shop on my lunch break because I am having the mildest hangover. Nothing, nothing awful. Just a little, you know, these little something sweet to get me through this. But that is, as I joked to the lady of Tesco's, that is the sign that Christmas season is upon us when you are just constantly nursing a mild hangover from Christmas fun. A professional hangover. <laughs> a professional hangover. And, you know, we are still going to make it as fun as possible. Yeah. So if we try and do this chronologically, there's so much to cover and we definitely aren't going to be able to fill in all of the biggest news of 2021 because there was just so much happening. But if you can cast your mind all the way back to a year ago or so, which doesn't feel like a horrible version of Groundhog Day whatsoever, there was major change happening at the BBC. So in December 2020, they shook it all up and scrapped controller roles and the BBC4 editor position and replaced that with everyone getting everyone genre positions. So that have set off a major precedent of change over on the BBC. That scrapping of controller positions showed a real move over to iPlayer. But then in February, it was confirmed that the BBC would be BBC Three, sorry, would be returning as a linear channel five years after its controversial removal from the EPG. One of the debates I found really interesting about the return of BBC Three as a linear channel was all of the questioning and debating about acquisitions. I know this is commissioning conversations, but to move us into the other side of the industry with acquisitions, you know, ITV and a lot of other companies came out and said, if BBC Three is going to return to a linear channel, it needs to stop relying so much on acquisitions because I think, and they were using the example of Gossip Girl, which ITV2 had wanted and was outbid by BBC slash BBC Three for because I love some of the things that BBC Three acquires and I think that is actually one of the major strengths of iPlayer 
and programming strategy is that it gets very good American particularly acquisition. Well, it recently had, the channel recently had its annual budget doubled to about 70 million. So it definitely will have enough money to support a linear TV schedule, but I'm definitely intrigued as to how much of that will actually be made up of acquisitions from the US especially. I'm trying to think of what used to be on the sh- on the schedule when it was BBC3 and it was linear. Was Family was, Guy on there? It was a lot of Family Guy, which now ITV2 has, I'm pretty sure. Oh, the drama. Also, some more gossipy news perhaps of the year was when Piers Morgan departed from Good Morning Britain in March. What a moment that was. What a moment. And I mean, it, it led to the end of him hosting the, the, the show, which I think he had done for six years so six controversial years six very controversial years so that was big big tv news at the time and i will move us on to the other giant story of the year which was the channel Four privatization mal which luckily there's still time and a decision hasn't been made so at least yeah. we're not reporting on that in a sad way <laughs> yeah i think it's for our sector, it is probably the biggest story of the year was the news that the government had launched a formal consultation on the future of Channel 4. Obviously, broadcast listeners and broadcast intelligence listeners will be aware of the Not For Sale campaign that broadcast launched in the summer. The argument is that Channel 4 has got a really unique remit. The full stance is published online and people can read about it there but it's an ongoing story that I think we can expect to continue to grip the sector until 2022. We've got Nadine Dorries now who was appointed the new culture secretary in a reshuffle recently and you've got a long relationship with Nadine. I do. Dean is the MP for Mid Bedfordshire, which is where my parents are from and where I grew up. And when I was, say, 10, maybe 12, that sort (laughs) of age, I got asked to do a presentation on the different types of political parties there were. And she was meant to come to the assembly where I gave the presentation and she was three hours late. And you know what? Absolutely shocking. Never forgiven her. (laughs) And if she privatises Channel 4, that'll be two crosses on my list for Nadine. (laughs) She's on your naughty list this year. So the kind of latest update on the Channel 4 privatisation story is that during the DTMS committee, the culture secretary, Nadine, said that she hasn't made up her mind yet about whether Channel 4 will be privatised. And she said it's a big body of work and there are a number of issues that she needs to consider before she makes a decision. So I suppose we'll have to watch this space and it will definitely be one of the core stories that we'll be following closely in 2022. And then to move on to the rest of the year, in August, during another virtual Edinburgh TV, which I am so excited for 2022 to be back in Edinburgh. I've missed it. But anyway, during that, we watched Jack Thorne's just absolutely outstanding McTaggart lecture. I think every year, whoever they select as the speaker for the McTaggart lecture knocks it out of the park. And just because it was virtual, it lost absolutely none of its impact. To summarise, he essentially slammed the UK TV industry's treatment of disability and during the speech he called for a quota to 
basically redress the situation. I think the main line that people were writing was his quote, TV has failed disabled people utterly and totally. So he did not mince his words whatsoever. No. And he said, you know, 20% of the UK population disabled. Yeah, they're represented by 8.2% of on-screen talent and 5.4% of people work off-screen. And then of top executives, only 3.6% are disabled. And recently as well, he spoke about how a lot of production offices and studios are not fit for purpose. There's no accessible toilets or accessible doors. It's just a real sad state of the industry as well he said about it being an often an area of diversity that's often just not not given enough attention you can't just hire some more disabled people you have to ensure that their needs are adequately met to allow them to work in Mm. the best capacity yeah I was listening to um, must watch the other day and Jack Thorne was speaking on it then and he was saying how they'd you know been doing some more research into this charter and this and they'd found that there was only one disabled toilet on the sets that they'd visited and it was something that a lot of people speak loudly to but we're still yet to see the full addressal of of the issue but again this is another thing that we can really expect to go into 2022 so the latest that we've got on this is that Jack Thorne was saying that studios could face boycotts from broadcasters if they don't provide sufficient disabled access. So there is a lot happening and hopefully it's a story that will continue to get as much attention as it deserves. And I think that McTaggart, as always, really set the agenda. And I'm very intrigued as to next year's Edinburgh, which will, as we say, hopefully be the first one for a while now that's in person what the state of affairs will be in August 2022. We're going to be talking about this for a long time and there's lots that needs to be done but moving on to the final bit of big news that we have been talking about this year which is Squid Game. Yes the how would how do you even begin to describe Squid Game? It was the smash hit that everyone was talking about at MIPCOM this year. MIPCOM anywhere. Smash hit that anyone was talking about anywhere they were. And I think the thing that really shows how this like Netflix local but global thing, it's just it's so exemplified by Squid Game. You know, it's so South Korean. And it just really exemplifies Netflix's local but global. And it's not just Netflix's local but global approach anymore. It's all major streamers. You know, everyone wants these hyper local stories. And, you know, when they're good, they can travel the world. And I think it's nice. It's a nice position to be in. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating how much it captured the attention of people everywhere. I I know that Netflix you know they have these big smash hits but it was really amazing to see a show that was in a dubbed language and did not stop young audiences from consuming it crazily that's one of the things that Netflix has really excelled in has been really encouraging formats from all over the world different drama ideas new talent that is kind of the best that Netflix can be and hopefully even though I personally didn't actually like Squid Game that much, I think it's amazing what it can do and the power that TV can still have and it will still continue to make these big 
radical shifts and now everyone's talking about what the next squid game is going to be and i think it'll be another thing because the next squid game will come from come from nowhere and it will it'll be really exciting so looking back over the year how's it been for you have (laughs) (laughs) generally and and tv industry wise i think uh i won't go into personally (laughs) it's been a testing (laughs) year but i think as as we kind of said at the top of the podcast, there has been a lot of quite intense challenges and difficulties for the industry. Things aren't easy, but the amount of really inspiring television, really fantastic work that came out has really just, yeah, it's very warming to be able to see and talk about, as we will later in highlighting our favourite shows of the year, just how how good of a job yeah for sure and I think I'm with you on the personal level I think we both moved house two or three times so uh and that's each not even between us (laughs) (laughs) and I think you know the the industry is recovering which is really nice you know 2020 was awful 2021 was a bit better and I think 2022 will be better still I think yeah we're gonna see a lot more uh local streamers so things very specific content streamers as well you know things like AMC Shudder which is just horror I think yeah we'll see a lot more of that I think hopefully we'll see Channel 4 not be privatized yeah I think we'll just see just a lot more foreign language dramas being made and shown to UK audiences and US audiences there's some yuletide joy yuletide joy To finish recapping the year, I've put together a tiny quiz for you, Alice. I'm getting my egg head on. (laughs) Number one, which of these three shows is not a Channel 4 dating format announced this year? Number one, Needle in a Haystack, a dating format that looks to pair single rural romantic farmers by participating in various farming challenges such as sheep shearing and dog training. Let's Make a Scene, which sees singletons dress up like movie stars and reenact romantic scenes to see if sparks fly. Number three, The Language of Love, which sees participants from the UK and Spain pair up to try and find romance despite not being able to speak the same language. Oh, right. Okay. I know the language of love is real because I remember reading about it. I feel like Needle and Haystack could be real because it fits with like nations and regions and like out of London programming. <laughs> That's the most Those lovely rural farmers. <laughs> that is the most eye working TV commissioning <laughs> uh, way, to, way to deliberate this. So, yeah, I think it's let's make a scene. <laughs> The answer is Needle in a Haystack is the made-up dating format that I created oh at my... three o'clock yesterday afternoon. Heather, you need to pitch that. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I really do think it would appeal to the hearts and minds of the rural community. Oh my God. Like, can we... You've copyrighted that. I will be taking development funding. Thank you very much. <laughs> But I also want to talk about Let's Make a Scene because the idea of dressing up like a movie star to reenact a romantic scene when you cannot act is the most disgusting. 
I can't think of anything worse. Would you the get amount the of ick? <laughs> yes, the amount of ick that I would get from someone trying to reenact like dirty dancing and oh, doing it horribly. Stop it. What would be the worst film? Maybe Ghost. Oh, yeah. Oh, some random guy just coming up <laughs> behind you and like putting his hands on Touching your hands. Some clay. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that would definitely make for some good social media clips in the new year when that show comes out. Yeah, for sure. Okay, number two. Which of these programs was not rebooted or revived by Channel 5 this year? Number one, You Are What You Eat. Number two, Eggheads, which I think you might know. <laughs> Three, Undercover Big Boss. Or four, Watercolor Challenge. It was number one, you are what you eat. Underco- water Challenge was, Undercover Big Boss was rebooted. Was that definitely Channel 5 or was it ITV? Ooh. <laughs> is, that, is it a trick question? Is it actually <laughs> Undercover Big Boss? You tried to get me, but oh, was- you know, programs. <laughs> The well, I'm now suddenly doubting myself because I'm sure that you are what you eat was rebooted by Channel Five because the answer to my quiz was Undercover Big Boss. Yeah, it was. It, you are what you eat has been uh, Channel Five. You were right. Undercover Big Boss was ITV. There you go. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, which will once again see company bosses go undercover to see what happens behind closed doors. I used to love that show. Question number three. There have been a lot of controversies this year and they've resulted in a lot of Ofcom complaints, including Piers Morgan's comments about Meghan Markle. However, I have compiled a few of the lesser known Ofcom complaints (laughs) of the year. Can you guess which one I have made up number one, (laughs) an influencer appearing on this morning to discuss how he identifies as Korean. He's not actually Korean. Number two, Anton Deck being mean to each other and Deck being called Stumpy. Or number three, a Good Morning Britain interviewee who claimed that calling extraterrestrials aliens is deeply offensive. I know the Korean guy's real because I was like, that's one of those stories where I was just like, oh, <laughs> what? So is Deck Stumpy or are calling extraterrestrials aliens offensive? His deck stumpy. <laughs> I like how that's my option. I have to, I have to, on this podcast, be like, yeah, he is a bit short, isn't he? Um, I think the one you made up was extraterrestrials. You are correct, and I actually did this one just for you because that's something that Demi Lovato said. <laughs> If you haven't seen it, there is a series, I think on the Travel Channel, but I might be wrong, where Demi Lovato goes to find ghosts, aliens and the like. It's slightly deranged. There's a clip where they sing their song Skyscraper to an empty room to get the ghosts to like trust them um, so that the ghosts can can communicate. Oh and is hilarious, and I'm obsessed with it. That concludes my quiz. (laughs) (laughs) 
just a little a little festive treat and um, I hope you enjoyed it two out of three ain't bad as they say no well done there was some debate on the uh whether I got number two right but I'm <laughs> taking it you know what it's Christmas Anna you Thank get you. two out of three that's the biggest gift and then before. I get the development funding rights for Noodle in a Haystack. You literally need to. <laughs> well, as well as, you know, big news in 2021 and me getting two out of three. Also, for we would shout out all the amazing content that came came to our screens this year. Yes, in a little segment that we've coined TV's favourite telly of 2021, we have been in touch with an array of industry voices, former podcast guests and some subscribers about their favourite shows of the year. And me and Alice will inevitably also be weighing in with our favourite shows of the year. Looking at the notes, um, there was a lot of votes for Succession which I started to watch today on my lunch break after watching lots of TikToks about it. Um, I thought It you know dominates what? social media, absolutely. Yeah, I was really enjoying the TikToks and Morris Wheeler, who's the CEO of We Are Family, summed it up by saying, never have I loved a loathsome bunch of people in all my life. Their relentless drive to the bottom of the moral ladder is in some weird way endearing. At least they are consistently self-serving monsters. Yeah, that that quote from him really made me laugh. I think he does sum it up pretty perfectly. So I haven't actually watched the latest series. I've been, well, during the last year or so, I've been trying to make my way through classic dramas that I hadn't seen before. So last year I watched all of The Wire and then at the moment I'm watching The Sopranos and then started to watch Succession, which really makes you doubt a lot of humanity. (laughs) But I have been loving Succession and it's completely taken over social media, um, which is slightly annoying because I'm behind. So people keep tweeting about things that are happening and I keep not knowing what's happening and slightly getting spoilers but I think Succession is one of those shows where it doesn't really matter about the plot you're just completely obsessed with the characters and they are all these absolutely disgraceful (laughs) horrible people that you can just thoroughly enjoy which means that watching it simultaneously with The Sopranos makes for very bleak but very very entertaining viewing and it was also shouted out I should say by Alan Clements from Two Rivers and Andrew McKenzie from South Shore both had these in their lists of favourite shows. So Succession, very popular, not very surprising. Mm. And uh, other other things that Alan shouted out was um, one of my favourites, which was 9-11 Inside the President's War Room. That was an Apple BBC co-commission. It honestly, it blew me away it was the access was insane it was like president bush talking talking about his day well not his day (laughs) his day (laughs) on 9-11 it was just it was um, phenomenal it was so interesting to see it like that the thing that really stuck with me as well was um, about how kind of ill-prepared the like panic room and control rooms are in were in the white house because obviously they hadn't really 
used them for years and they're in this room strategizing and being like what should we do what is going on and they realize that they're all falling asleep because the there's no ventilation and all the carbon dioxide that they were breathing out was just like slowly sending them to sleep and giving them a bit of a carbon dioxide poisoning so that really like details like that were just like so interesting and it went really into really down down into that detail yeah I really loved that documentary as well and it was one of those ones where so I giving away my age slightly don't really remember 9-11 at all and I'm obviously aware of everything that happened but it really did give some insights that I hadn't realized so I completely was unaware that George Bush was in a school with children and then someone comes and whispers in his ear what's going on while he's like reading a book and talking to kids about reading and then there's that really haunting footage of his face where he's just looking around trying to process something completely unprocessable while sat in a room trying to not panic children it's it's so interesting it was a really really good documentary Mel Leach from South Shore um said she loved White Lotus haven't seen but is on my list I hear it's succession-y vibes so I'm gonna try the succession first and then I'll report back on White Lotus and the um Tony Blair Gordon Brown BBC2 documentary which again another one on my list uh, I have watched Blair and Brown, The New Labour Revolution. So I love these BBC documentaries. Um, the Margaret Thatcher one, that series was absolutely excellent. And this is in a somewhat similar vein. Um, again, the access is absolutely fantastic. Some of the interviews and the footage that they have in that series, I think it's across five parts and it kind of documents how they went from being these two masterminds of new labor to essentially fundamentally opposing each other by the end and it's it's just such an interesting relationship and one that I hadn't really appreciated before but it's a great subject matter and yeah really really good shout there if you haven't watched it I would recommend it as it's across five episodes you can really get get your teeth into that at Christmas. (laughs) I'm gonna put that on my list I've got a week off binge everything that I can't watch <laughs> other things that were shouted out so let's stick with South Shore so Andrew McKenzie uh, back back to you Andrew shouted out Staff Let's Flats Mayor of Easttown Succession Curb Enthusiasm and then ITV4's Tour de France coverage BBC's NFL show. Um, he said, getting rid of the presenter. What a radical idea, but it really works. Sky Sports in general. Lockdown later with Jules, which he said was better than the real show. And Little Gems, Paul Doc and Top Gear's Eddie Kid film. So lots of good recommendations from Andrew. The one that I really want to jump on is Staff Let's Flats. Oh my God, series three. I, Staff Let's Flats has just really come into its own. It is completely unhinged madness and I absolutely love it. I think I normally in comedy tend to steer towards more comedy dramas. I, I like things that kind of laugh at dark moments, but Staff Let's Flats is such a breath of fresh air. It's just so silly. In <laughs> Series three in particular is really silly. And I remember seeing a tweet by Asha Tala who was saying, um, I think it's episode four, that it was one of the kind of silliest bits of TV that he'd made alongside the episode of the IT crowd where they're at the theatre. 
and he said that both were cries for help and the IT crowd episode where they all go to the theatre is one of my favourite episodes of television of all time so I was really excited and staff did not let me down so Luke Holmes, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, said Adam Curtis's latest series can't get you out of my head, lived up to its name by providing an epic jaunt through history that both entertained and reframed perspectives on our world in his unmistakable style. And I am a huge Adam Curtis fan, but I haven't seen it yet because after I watched Hypernormalization, I think I walked around for like a week being like, the world is weird. Um, to, to summarize what goes on in my brain so I think I need to be emotionally prepared but like I said week off yeah he's not like a binge watch kind of guy he's a you watch it and you think about it deeply for the coming months kind of guy yeah. which is exactly what a documentary maker should often try and do but it does mean that you don't crash through all of his shows in one in one sitting other shout outs from Luke were Vice's Dark Side of the Ring Series 3, Mindhouse's Gods of Snooker, which I have heard was very interesting for its subject matter. Um, Luke said it once again proves that sport is one of the most interesting areas from which dr- dramatic documentaries can be born. And it really doesn't matter if you're a fan or not. Agreed. And he ended with Get Back it was just an incredible feast for any Beatles fan providing unparalleled access that helped us delve into the process and interpersonal relationships with the band in an in-depth way not seen before. The amount of people that I've heard going on about Get Back, like the hype behind it is very real. Great Disney documentary there. I'm going to say something that my 15-year-old feminist self would kill me for in that watching Get Back, so I've only watched the first hour, I would say, but I can see why people didn't like Yoko. Um, <laughs> she might disappear at some point, but she so far has just been a silent witness to the whole record, whole first hour of this documentary. So another person that we spoke with was Simon Crawford, who is managing director of Slim Film and TV. And he gave out one of the biggest shouts that me and Alice were both all over this, this drama. It's a sin which he said had gorgeous characters, heart-rending, funny, and ultimately taught us about the importance of tolerance and love. And, oh my God, me and Alice are both absolutely obsessed with It's a Sin. And it's up there, and if not my number one, my number two favourite show of the whole of 2021. I'm getting myself like emotionally ready because I think I want to watch it again. Um, but I need to like prepare to watch it again, but that's how much I loved it. Quite a few people also agreed with It's a Sin. So Deborah Dunnett, um, who's Channel 4 commissioning editor, she said, I'm sure I'm saying the same as everyone else, but It's a Sin had a profound impact on me. It was heartbreakingly perfect and still is my screensaver, favourite sweatshirt and mug, which, you know, that's that's a fan. <laughs> and uh, I know, I can't say I'm as committed of a super fan as Deborah. I have no mugs. <laughs> no, I do want the T-shirt, but um, I need to buy it. That is how you obtain t-shirts. That's how you obtain things. Trade my money for goods and other items. Morris Wheeler also shouted out its sin. He said, a tender and loving story about the brutal realities of a world I grew up in but had no real idea about. It left me feeling angry that I didn't really know about it, angry that it happened, 
I'm worried about all the other stories I'm not seeing at the moment. They say the best stories are the ones that stay with you. This one is still there, always in the back of my mind when I see how minorities are treated and marginalised. And I agree, it's, uh, like, it is one of those ones that always will stay with me. Absolutely. And I also think there's something about it which is it's not just sad. And every time that I try and recommend it to people if I meet someone and they haven't watched it yet it is the show that I'm like oh my god you have to watch this show and then when you try and explain it some people are like oh it sounds a bit bit of a bummer and I mean I won't lie I cried hysterically from episode three onwards but at the same time it's so full of life and all the characters are so fun and so lively and joyous that everyone is just completely rounded like I could watch that if it was a hundred episodes long and I would just happily bob along with all of the characters because they're absolutely gorgeous and I think if I had one criticism of it it would be I know that originally it was planned to be over seven episodes and it got reduced to five and I would do anything (laughs) to just have those extra two precious hours with that gorgeous group of friends because they're just Russell T Davis can do absolutely no wrong yeah you just can like feel all of his love of the 80s and that scene all like pouring out onto the screen yeah it's such such a gorgeous series it deserves all of the praise and all of the love it gets I just don't even know what else to say about it other than but when I recommend the show I want to emphasize it's not just a sad show it is so joyful <laughs> and that is why it, it the, the emotions the highs and the lows are so good anyway so we spoke about it's a sin simon also said fever pitch the rise of the premier league um was that's a great doc so much fun and reminded me of iconic moments from iconic characters like gascoigne beckham and cantona 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 <laughs> you can tell that I have not watched that documentary and I do not watch football. Well, I am somewhat of a football fan and I really enjoyed it because it was like an era of football that I was I where I wasn't involved in football, I didn't follow it at the time. So watching all these kind of legends and now understanding half of the references that I just did not understand before was really, really fun. It was cool to to learn a little bit more but the documentary was as he, as Simon said it was really fun it wasn't you know a hard nose serious documentary constantly it was like a it was a jaunt through football in the uh, early noughties well we love a jaunt love a jaunt and the other drama that got mentioned a few times was Squid Game um we mentioned it earlier but Simon also said it was so clever to weave such truthful, poignant characters into such a heightened and stylized world. Yeah, controversially, I didn't love Squid Game. I'm just gonna, <laughs> just going to cause some conflict in the podcast. But I really, as I said earlier, I really appreciate what it did in terms of just bringing attention, bringing more foreign language programming into the UK zeitgeist and having people talk about it and just encouraging the use of uh, subtitles but in terms of the actual plot I was it was one of those ones where I thought it had you on the edge of your seat and you were constantly hooked with that kind of high adrenaline drama but actually 
I really hated the ending and I just couldn't get behind it. So there's my two cents. <laughs> I didn't even watch it, so it wasn't my thing. You didn't watch it? No. I did watch Emily in Paris, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's an international drama I could get behind. I'm cancelling you. <laughs> I'd cancel myself if I could. <laughs> and finally... We had to ask our friends at Digital Eye and Sophia Vidati said that her TV highlight of the year was Arcane League of Legends, which of which the soundtrack has now become a constant feature of her working from home office. Love a good soundtrack. Well, it is a Netflix series and I mean, anything that provides a soundtrack for the work from home life, as we said earlier, that's what we're doing at the moment. Very supportive of that. And I'll, I'll have a look. I've just Googled it and it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm clearly missing out on something here. Yeah, maybe we will have to give it a go. Good shout, Sophia. So, Heather, what was your favourites? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I just did not realise how many things had come out this year. And then when you start to mull it over and you think about things that came out in like February and March, it really blows your mind. So we've already spoken about It's a Sin and I could go on and on and on about that drama, but know that that is definitely in my top two, if not my number one. Other ones that I want to give a big shout out to were RuPaul's Drag Race season two, which I didn't realise it had come out in 2021 until yesterday. The episode after lockdown where they all come back and then they do UK Hun and make the most iconic song. I can't, it was in my Spotify wrapped top 100 song, <laughs> <laughs> which I should probably be embarrassed about, but I'm not. It was just such a great episode and such a good series. Incredible talent just really holds a special place in my heart so drag race season two i liked season three didn't like it as much as season two and i wanted to give a shout out to some of the documentaries i watched this year as well because there have been so many good documentaries but i suddenly remembered one and it possibly my show of the year um i'm not sure if it was originally released in 2021 but it came out as a BBC Storyville film in 2021 in like March or April time. And it's called Undercover OAP, The Mole Agent. And it's kind of a silly documentary in a lot of ways, but it is also one of the most heartwarming, beautifully shot documentaries that really just took me by surprise. And I was just scrolling through because It looked kind of the titles got like a picture of a guy with a magnifying glass and looked kind of silly and um it's about this 83 year old man that goes undercover in a nursing home to see if uh, one of the residents is being treated properly and it ends up just being this really lovely examination of being old and being lonely and finding people and forming new relationships when you're you know in your 80s and it's just so lovely it made me cry it made me laugh out loud and if you get a minute of your time please watch it it is absolutely stunning Hmm. I think I will definitely put that on my list how about you Alice what were your top shows now that I've finished wittering on so previously mentioned President's War Room and It's Sin 
I also really enjoyed the Nat Geo documentary series, 9-11, One Day in America. I actually ended up watching that back to back. Then had to go on a train and I was like, why am I so anxious? Like, yeah, you've been watching <laughs> literally uh, documentaries about terrorism all day. Um, of course, you feel a bit funny. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that might put you on edge. What else did I love? I remember 9-11, so... I think the 9-11 one day in America, I I, th- I felt like I knew a lot about the subject, but actually that did something that I really love when I'm watching a documentary about a well-known subject and it just told me new stories and different perspectives. And yeah, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. And I learned a lot, which I felt like I probably had seen all the 9-11 documentaries and knew most things, but no, I still learned some more. Other things I loved on the other side of you know, hard-hitting documentaries was You, Series 3. Um, oh my God, how could I forget? <laughs> I know, that ending enrages me. I loved the character of Love and I think she just made the whole series and now I don't know what I'm going to do now that she's not in it anymore. You has its criticisms for being a kind of like almost romanticised portrayal of stalking and murder and violence. And I would say it's you have to come to it as a dark comedy. It's a dark comedy more first and foremost. And I think it really it really does that well. It's really funny. If you take it in as a silly watch that you can just embrace, then it is such a fun show. Other things I loved, I'm kind of cheating with this one because I went to see if This Way Up, the series with Ashley B was on came out this year and I found out there's a series two that is out that I've just missed so that's what I'm doing um with my my evening catching up on that but I know it's already going to be one of my top shows for 2021 because I just loved series one and felt very hashtag relatable (laughs) that's a show that's on my list I've been meaning to watch um this way up for a really long time another one in that vein which I think you loved as well was feel good um oh my god how did I not mention feel good this I'm just, is tv just smashing it left right yeah. center feel good I just the crafting of that relation of the relationship between May and George is just so amazing and I just I loved it yeah I'm also a little bit in love with May yeah um <laughs> My dad watched it and he was like, they just can be really horrible to each other at times, can't they? And I think he like nailed it on, like nailed that dynamic on the head because he was saying it in a kind of like pondering why couldn't either of them just get their, get their lives together kind of way, not in a like, oh, it's not nice. He's just like, oh, they just, just wish, wish those two would sort it out. Yeah. Cause it feels very earned. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think that's. God, I sound exhausted, but I am. There's so much TV. I could go on and on and on. I was struggling to even think, but I know I've watched a load of great stuff this year. Yeah, we we really could talk about TV forever, which is a good thing because we have a podcast where we talk about television. But maybe it's about time we wrap up for the year. The final podcast. So yeah, we are going to have a little break. Yeah, so I am joining the broadcast reporting team in the new year, which I'm very excited about. But it does mean that me and Alice's commissioning conversations will be taking a slightly different shape in the new year. But it does not mean we will stop talking about television. 
No, unfortunately, we both really just enjoy getting paid to talk to each other. So we were taking a little break, seeing what we're going to do with the format, maybe bring in some more news. Maybe we'll keep it the same. Who knows? But we will be back in the new year. Yeah. So Merry Christmas. (laughs) Elise Navidad. Yeah. So have a happy new year and goodbye for now. We'll see you in a shiny new 2022. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another podcast, but in the meantime, be sure to check us out and all the latest commissioning briefs and programme green lights at broadcastintel.com. Bye.